against the machine. Welcome to Pot Against the Machine, or not quite Pot Against the Machine, but the thing that comes before Pot Against the Machine. We're here with one of uh, one of the players. Well, I'm Sam, the host and GM, and we've got Jero here. So, uh, Jero, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey there, Sam. How you doing? Not too bad. Uh, I am Andrew Jero. And I am one of the players, like you said, for Pot Against the Machine. I am from Central Florida, and I work at a library because uh, D&D was not enough. I had to uh, really cement my nerd status there. <laughs> and yeah, I guess uh, that's pretty much it. Don't really have much in the way of prior experience with podcasting or anything. Did a bit of streaming once upon a time, but other than that, yeah, that's me. All right. And uh, who are you playing on the show? On the show, I am playing, and I'm going to say this a little bit slow so that I don't butcher it. I am playing a Kelid Jistkin Artificer Magus. Named Vargas No Clan the Broken. Well, that right there is a little bit of a mouthful. What should we know about Vargas before we actually meet him? Well, the most interesting thing to me personally as the person playing him has to do with him being a Kelid. And I said that before, and people who don't play Pathfinder or haven't delved too deep into its lore might be going, what kind of crazy fantastical race is a Kelid, and they're just people. But specifically, they're like Robert E. Howard, Conan the Barbarian type people that are these frigid up north uh, sword and loincloth type barbarians. And an interesting thing about them is that they normally hate arcane magic to the point that there are actually traits and flaws and stuff that you can pick if you're playing as a Kelid to have you deal more damage against enemy spellcasters or uh, have to roll a check when a friendly spellcaster puts a buff on you or you don't get it because they like instinctively don't want magic to mess with them. So playing a Kelid that is a full caster is going to be really fun and really interesting to me from a role-playing point of view, and I'm really looking forward to it. And we're going to be playing in the region of Galarian, uh, the main Pathfinder setting, called Numeria, which happens to be where the Kelids live, which for a group of people who are um, not big fans of magic, it's a rather magic-heavy area, so that should be some interesting conflict. Yeah, they are also uh, not big fans of technology, and they are in a very technology-heavy area also. 
though those two things have a bit more in common with each other. They do not have a good history with uh, technology. It tends to try to murder them fairly often through like most of their written history. Well, theoretically, with a with a name like Pod versus Machine, technology is going to be trying to murder more than just the Kellids before we're done. Um, so why don't you recount for us, or uh, if you have a story at the ready of uh, some other role-playing anecdote or a different character with a dramatic moment you might want to share with us to sort of give us a sense of your history. Mm, dramatic moment. A dramatic moment, an amusing anecdote. Yeah, I think I might <laughs> err towards the amusing side. First thing that comes to mind when I hear amusing is uh, a 5e game that I played uh, actually relatively recently. It only uh, wrapped up around the end of last year. We played through uh, Curse of Strahd, and my first character was brutally killed. And I had to create a second one. And I created basically Master Splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because one of the other players had already created a turtle character, which is the humanoid turtle race in Dungeons and Dragons that they then named after all four of the Ninja Turtles and made the Samurai class. So I could not resist when I had to reroll a new character creating a rat folk monk and naming him Sliver. Oh, then you're automatically the boss of all the turtles, so that works. I'm trying to think if there's one that really strikes me that I did that was more kind of just that. Like I said, I've had character death and stuff. And it can hit you hard, especially if it comes like late into a campaign and you put a lot of time and effort into making a character and a lot of stuff into like their backstory. But there isn't really a specific one that stands out to me as, like, super memorable, unfortunately. Well, luckily for you, I'm sure Vargas will have a super memorable and dramatic character death that you'll be able to talk about the next time you do one of these. I'm kidding. I'm not going to kill Vargas off. Probably. Vargas is going to live forever. <laughs> yeah, for several episodes, anyways. Definitely not going to uh, almost die horribly in nearly every episode. It's possible. It's possible. These things get rather violent rather quickly. So, what's your favorite kind of dog? Favorite kind of dog? I told you there'd be some dumb ones. Yeah. Well, favorite dog I ever owned was a miniature Boston Terrier named Maddie, who was adorable. Nice. But I think my favorite type of dog would probably be either a pit bull or that one that's kind of like a pit bull that I'm blanking on the name of, Kalahusa. I am not familiar with the Kalahusa. Sort of like a pit bull, which obviously I already said, but that's basically the best way to describe them. They basically just look kind of like pit bulls. That makes sense. Very similar disposition to big teddy bears. All right. And um, one last question before we get into a little bit of a, a preview scene with Vargas. What is the worst scenario that you can think of for Vargas's inevitable, horrible demise on this podcast? Hmm. The worst I could think of. 
Well, I think the worst thing I could think of happening to him would be there is, and this will sort of hopefully be revealed over the course of the story if he doesn't get horribly murdered too early, but uh, he's not a big fan of the Technic League, and there's a specific member of the League that he really would like a rematch with that he uh, did not fare too great against the first time he ran into them. And I think the worst way he could die would be attempting to fight them again and losing again. (laughs) All right, we'll see if we can make that happen for you. Now, um, we've prepared, I think, as as part of this um, introduction episode, we're going to do a little scene to sort of give you a sense, the listeners at home or wherever you happen to be, of uh, what Vargas is, what makes him tick. So let's transition into the world of Galarian. We take ourselves onto a vast Numerian plain, devoid of wildlife and coated in long trampled grasses, stretched out at the base of mountains, separating two Kelid armies. On one side stand the Sunderhorde, vicious raiders, children of Rovagog, who thrive on plunder and rage. Across the waste stand the mountain fists in the shadow of their sacred peak, and a single man stands at their front. Vargas Mountainfist, wielder of the Kami Vantai, stands at the ready, his long black hair blowing in the wind. Warriors of Clan Mountain Fist, the enemy lay before us, and soon we will crush them. We will wipe the Sunder Horde from the plains. Vargas raises his ancestral sky metal sword, the Kamevanti, and he points it across the field at the approaching horde. For Gorum and glory! A cheer rises up from the army standing behind him. Swords bang against shields, axes swing in the air, and then all at once the sounds are rested as... Quite suddenly, the sun disappears from the sky, blotted out from behind the Mountain Fist army. Vargas, his eyes widen. What sort of devilry? He turns to look behind him. He puts his arm up just out of instinct, but there's no sun there for it to block out. I'm hanging over the mountain. Blocking the sun entirely is a gigantic arm, too large to belong to any mortal being. The arm shifts, first it looks human, and then orc, and then back and forth again too fast to pinpoint. In its hand, though, is an unchanging short sword as long as a tower is tall, the gigantic blade pointing down. The arm pulls the sword up and stabs it down through the sacred mountain itself. A shockwave issues forth from the blow, rolling down over the mountains and engulfing Vargas's clan. One by one, as the wall force hits them, the Kellid warriors crumble to ash and blow away. The wave and the dust storm it carries engulf Vargas last of all. Throws up his arms, screams, and as he throws them up, he sees his right arm just melts off into the same ash that he just watched his entire clan turn into. And he falls to his knees and screams in pain. And as the 
wave of force rolls past him and disappears behind him in a vast field. Vargas finds that the the sword is gone, his entire arm is gone, his hair has been burnt away. But when he managed to stumble back up to his feet, somehow still alive, despite the force that destroyed an entire army, he sees that night has fallen, and the Sunderhorns are gone. The battlefield is gone. He's alone on a road in the waste, his eyes pointing up at a town that wraps around a single black craggy hill. On top of that hill, a violet flame burns bright, its beam cutting miles into the sky. As he watches, the flame burns brighter and wider, spilling down the sides of the hill like a lava flow, soon engulfing the entire town as it rushes towards him. Once again tries to throw up his arms in front of him. Obviously, he only has one now. But he gets his left arm up, he squints his eyes against the horrible violet light and attempts to start slowly walking forwards into it slow and stumbling as he drives himself into the flame into the oncoming flames and the heat is almost palpable on his face his eyes snap open and it's the heat of the sun on his face peeking over the horizon running across the scars on his face where his hair used to be. It's early morning, and he's tangled horribly in his camp bed as he as he wakes up on the side of the road. Vargas fights for a second, uh, not quite realizing he's up yet, thrashes around more, gets even more tangled before realizing that it was, again, a dream. He slowly sits up, untangles his blankets from around himself, and painfully gets to his feet, stretches first his left arm made of flesh with a large, intricate tattoo to the deity of Gorum covering his forearm and the back of his left hand. And he starts to stretch his right arm before catching himself and realizing it doesn't have the same pain. Uh, He gives it a quick glance, sees the jumble of metal, bits of uh, cast-off armor, bits of scrap and junk that make up his right arm. Stretches a little bit more, winces at the pain in his back. He's about twice now the age as he was in his dream, which he still remembers vividly. The dreams never go away after he wakes up. Shakes his head. They're getting worse. Whatever's in this town, it has to fix them. It has to. And he begins slowly, methodically packing up his camp. As, as he packs away his camp and um, gets a sense of his bearings, it strikes him that he's in the exact spot he stood at, in at the end of his dream. The town of Torch stands in the distance just a few miles away. Only now, the purple flame at the top, which was there when he went to sleep last night, is gone.
That is an ill omen. He stares up into the sky and then he looks down at the tattoo on his arm. Gorum, give me strength. And he gives another sigh, another wince at the aches and pain of age, and begins slowly moving towards the town that he hopes holds some sort of answer to him. And that's where we'll end our scene. All right. Thank you for your time, and we will see you again in episode one. Hope to see everybody there. property of its creators, all rights reserved. Pathfinder and the Iron Gods Adventure Path are properties of Paizo Publishing. Please visit them at paizo.com for more information. Theme Against the Machine, written and performed by our own Zach. Please consult the show notes for additional music and sound effect licensing information. Transition with a sound effect here. And something that's unique about Kellids is they are not big fans of magic to the point that there's like actually traits and flaws you can take if you're playing a Kellid that do things like make you have to roll to not run away when someone plays place. Pick, uh. I'm going to have to edit that out because my mouth wasn't working. Uh, when someone... Uh, casts a spell you can have to like roll to make a save to not run away or you can pick a trait to do extra magic extra damage against magic dealers <laughs>